0: Hello! Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. So welcome to Energetic, and today my guest is Anna Gumbau. She's a freelance energy and climate journalist based in Brussels. She's usually busy covering the European Green Deal and its impact on Central and Eastern Europe. You have certainly come across articles she has written for Euroactive or El Pais. I mentioned these two publications because, yes, Anna writes equally well in English and Spanish, as she's a native of Barcelona. So, Anna, welcome to Energetic. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. So, Anna, how does one become a journalist specializing in energy?
1: Well, for certain, I wasn't really expecting that I would end up covering energy. So I've been wanting to be a journalist since I was maybe uh, 10 years old. So it's already a 20-year-long yeah, uh, dream of mine. And back at the time, I was actually interested in sports, then, um, as years went by, uh, I was in high school and we took a European Parliament trip to Strasbourg. And that's where I started getting interested in EU affairs. Then uh, I started studying uh, EU-related courses. And I got more and more interested also, actually, in Central and Eastern Europe. Because that's an area I had traveled fairly frequently. And I started getting like really like, passionate and into the into the region, so everything about, I don't know, uh, EU-Russia relations, the the Ukraine crisis, because that was back in 2013-14, right? So at the height of the Euromaidan, then the Russian invasion of Crimea, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that energy was a key component there. So it's something that they mentioned that I couldn't really overlook. So the more I started investigating into it, the more interested I found. I got an internship that... What I was doing was precisely researching in energy and climate matters, even if at the time I knew nothing about that. It just felt such an exciting, interesting and and important topic to be covering that then like one thing led to the other and got my first full-time job as a journalist, being an energy journalist. And the story goes. (laughs) Okay,
0: and you must be extremely busy at the moment because we are recording this podcast in February 2022 and uh, energy prices are skyrocketing and we have tensions, let's call it this way, on the uh, Ukrainian-Russian border uh, and everything goes back to energy in this ongoing crisis. So what are your takes on the current energy situation?
1: I think for the past couple of years, I think for all of us working in this field, it's never really a boring moment. That's something that I keep uh, I keep saying because, I mean, we've had, you know, the European Green Deal unfolding. Now all the legislations at EU, at national level coming together, really. Let's just say that the energy crisis hasn't come really at the ideal moment because this is the time where... Something that's clear is that we should strengthen our ambition in all fronts and the energy crisis is exposing this this weakness, especially, I mean, it's a gas price crisis at the end of the day, right? And it's leaving us really, uh, you know, making evident that the more and the longer that we stay dependent on fossil fuels, the longer we are still going to be dependent in this big, big geopolitical and market fluctuations at the end of the day, right? So I think it's a big crisis, not only, you know, I mean, there's, of course, like a big social component in in there and energy poverty concerns rising across Europe. But also what's really worrying me is that this can also embolden, and is already emboldening, emboldening those who want to, you know, harm this transition. And I think that's very dangerous.
0: Yeah, yeah. I totally second you on, on this. I feel that six months ago, like in the summer of 2021, when we started to hear about this energy gas prices issue, there were Some space in certain media that were saying that the culprit was the uh, uh, EU policy choices towards uh, the energy transition, etc. And since then, there has been way more information uh, stipulating that the problem Mm -hmm. was actually coming from the gas prices and coming from really like the way we use energy in Europe and we make use of energy through burning fossil fuels, etc. So I think that in this way, journalists and the media in general have a very, very important role in in kind of setting up the narrative and spending a lot of time explaining in uh, very simple Mm -hmm. ways, some extremely complex situations and concepts. So how do you get fresh on uh, Mm -hmm. trying to never get into too much jargon, I would say, or splurge into uh, being too technical? Because mm-hmm. this is your your daily life, uh, juggling
1: between the, these two worlds. Yes, and I mean that's a, I think that's a great point. Um, in the last couple of years, so I uh, was working and and for different publications. I mean Carbon Pulse, Interfax, where they were very uh, market based. So so most of the of their clients were either utilities or or investors, etc. So it was an expert audience, and we were of course writing on very technical. Jargony terms, like I was trying to trying to avoid the jargon, but then I would have the editor saying, "But you know, like our audience understands what you're talking about, so feel free to take the shortcut." From this point of view, I had this big awakening. I think last summer when prices started to to rise up, and I went back at uh, back at my parents' place, and um, I saw that my mom had on top of her washing machine a uh, schedule printed uh, with the price fluctuations depending on the day because spain started kind of you know taking a rationalized approach to uh, to prices so in peak hours it uh, gets more expensive and 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 whatnot so for me this was really this big realization that you know like i was trying to explain to her what was going on what was happening why prices are rising so fast but that was really a struggle. And, you know, for me, I, I started to take this approach that whatever topic I write about, if it's uh, on coal phase outs, on, uh, I don't know, on carbon markets, on gas prices, on on the ongoing crisis and the energy poverty, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I try to think like, okay, how can I get the message out for the broadest number of, of people and, and make it really understandable so that actually like, even my mother can understand it really I think that was a yeah quite quite an awakening really.
0: Yeah, totally. Second you on this. It's so important that somehow experts get out of their bubble and try to express to the largest number of of people because the the transition is really about all of us. And if we don't make the message clear, it will remain something. Approachable and attainable for so many people, and it will remain something like an elitist bubble coming from Brussels, whereas it has to be totally the contrary. And that's exactly where uh, the populist parties are trying to fit in, and because they try to fill the gap between the decision making and uh, what's really at stake using some very simplistic approach. But that's the role of persons like you to make sure that the message gets clear and without any filters uh, that would lead to any bad interpretation indeed.
1: I think so. It's about putting things into context. It's about, um, for instance, there's been recently some cases of, you know, national politicians and national utilities, I don't know, blaming the current crisis on the EU ETS. And for us, like it's been uh, we, we've had quite a, quite a big role and, and taking quite a lot of time to actually debunk that and, and understand that. I mean, OK, first of all, I mean, that only plays a, a part in the crisis. And second of all, uh, we still have this fossil fuel dependency. And many of the companies that are, you know, putting forward these arguments that are often misleading. It's, you know, the transformation of the energy systems is in your hands. What are you doing to protect your, your consumers? And that's, again, something that I find very very dangerous the the inaction in the name of populism really, and and that's I think where we have quite an important an important role yeah, but I must say that
0: uh, I'm disappointed, and you just used the term ETS without explaining what it was
1: so uh, the emissions trading system really what's been keeping me busy for a few years now and and technically should make you know the big polluting uh, utilities. Uh, Coal, fire power plants, gas plants, uh, heavy industry, aviation pay for their emissions. But of course, it's the system is still far from perfect. There are many vested interests. So this is starting to happen. Um, we're seeing prices uh, gradually rising from a few euro per ton just a bunch of years ago to almost hundred euro every ton of emissions uh, released into the atmosphere, which, I mean, that's already a great, great market sign, but the system is still far from perfect, still currently under under negotiation. And you see, here's another example of uh, how do I explain, I don't know, carbon pricing put into buildings, for instance, and into residential heating to to my mother, again, which is something that is going to to affect her as our house still runs on a gas boiler, but How do I do that? And this is one of the big, big, uh, I think, um, again, yeah, awakenings and dilemmas that I have with, with myself sometimes.
0: Yeah, I get it. And yeah, it's also really hard to understand the kind of different approach that countries outside Europe would take because, of course, we import so much of the products. So we need somehow to have a system to compensate the fact that they don't have exactly the same approach towards emission transfer s- uh, systems. So it's also something that you work on, like uh, it's, it's about also divulgation somehow.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so. And it's it's complex, right? Really, to, to design these policies, to take into account, you know, families with the lowest income, how do you make sure that the money and the financial aid hands in the right hands, that is, it lasts properly, that citizens know what their rights are and which kind of benefits and support they are entitled to, right? I mean, I think it's such a complex issue, multifaceted also for, uh, yeah, for a practitioner like you.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's always putting things into perspective and making sure that we don't get trapped into our little silos where we'll, we will see the problem only with one angle. I think that's extremely dangerous. And on my side, having worked with universities, with ombudspeople, also with businesses, with the startups, everything in the energy sector, I can see that there are so many approaches and that are all valid because we have one common goal, which is becoming climate resilient and responding to the issues of really making energy accessible financially and physically accessible to to everyone. And I think that's really what matters the most, what is really truly the, the just transition. But I find it also very hard sometimes when your, or my conviction in that sense, to make this transition happen in a very fair and balanced way is confronted to the reality where in some places you are, we are really far from any kind of Proper commitment or seeing I don't know the investment arriving on those places, et cetera and it might be because of bureaucracy, it might be because of bigger struggles or things that are perceived as bigger struggles than just the climate change but but I think somehow that the current energy crisis is bringing the light on what at stake and that it's our dependency to fossil fuel, which is toxic for our wallet and is toxic for the environment too.
1: And that's really the moment of truth here is that, I mean, it's clear, right, that, that, that we need to act, we need to continue and to improve energy efficiency programs. We need to make sure that we're protecting the most vulnerable, but at the same time, we're really getting rid of all, um, of all fossil fuels. And for me, for instance, something that I find sometimes really shocking is you know, how sometimes like certain governments, I don't know, when it comes down with the so-called, you know, all the drama around sustainable finance and the taxonomy, et cetera, how they wanted to be labeling gas as a, as a green energy source in the name of energy poverty, which is, for me, these are t- things that really don't click together. And again, it's so, in, with such complex issues, it's so easy sometimes to simply manipulate and mislead the citizens. And I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, when journalists and experts alike we really need to need to step in and, and shed a light on, on what really is going on, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. And I would say that beyond this, it's about generational approach. It's about also building networks of people who are like-minded. And it's exactly what I aim to do with the the energetic. And I am certain that, that not all listeners agree with all the guests. But what I really want to do with this podcast is having everyone think a little bit more broadly about certain aspects and really understand better what is really at stake. And that's why I invite only very, very committed uh, guests uh, in this podcast. And uh, so uh, thank you really uh, so much, Anna, for, for this. And another really thing I wanted to address with you, Anna, since you are very committed to, let's say, not only the social aspects of the energy and climate transition, but also on uh, women empowerment. So, you told me that you are currently setting up an initiative uh, called the Green Light, and I understood that it's a coaching business. What is the idea behind this?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a project that it's been on the back of my head for a few years now. So since I've been I've been involved in the energy sector, I've in, in many occasions I've been sometimes you know the only woman in the room or the only woman in the team and all these sorts of situations and, you know, like also it's not only the fact of uh, the lack of representation, but also, you know, the implications of that. So sometimes, I don't know, I've been, uh, in situations of, you know, frequent mansplaining or, uh, you know, sometimes what I've been, my opinion has been belittled because of a woman situations that uh, someone could like even label it as harassment really. So I think, uh, Despite all the, I think, privilege that I do have, I mean, I think it's all it's been difficult for for me, and and uh, I'm sure for every woman that's been involved in, in in this sector, right, to try to make make herself a, a, a space, like really take up space. Really, I mm-hmm. think, in in and and, and, and this still very male dominated conversations. And for instance, I'm appalled sometimes to see, you know, despite uh, how many brilliant women energy experts. Across Europe, there are, we still see plenty of this, you know, like all male panels, et cetera, et cetera. I tend to get very angry when I see this kind of, uh, this kind of thing. So I thought that, okay, you know, what is it that I can bring and that I can do to try to continue empowering women in, in, in this sector, no? and to make sure that, um, that these spaces and these conversations become safe, uh, safe spaces for all, um, for all women. So uh, a little bit of my own personal background and family story. So my dad is a, a, a business coach and uh, has been working with with companies, big and small, and, and with individuals for maybe about 30 years. And there's always been, you know, some interest on my end on on that. And I actually... You know, I have many conversations about careers, etc, with my friends. and uh, many times I get this comment that oh, Anna, no. I mean, this conversation I had with you was uh, was very uh, yeah, very enlightening and <laughs> it clarified many things to me. I was like, oh, you know, there's kind of things that you just take a bit as a as a sign. so yeah. already for for a few months now, I've been studying to get certified as a as a coach and would like to kick out a, a side business, especially for. For young professionals who are still like trying to find their footing in this sector, which at the end of the day is is huge, right? But still very male dominated. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's the story behind it. I hope to be able to, you know, formally launch uh, soon. But that's yeah, a really really exciting project that I have envisioned for a very long time, actually. Yeah,
0: it sounds it sounds really exciting, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to hearing all about it. And because I think it's so important to have build networks of people you trust who just want us all to shine together, and who want to lift you up and just bring the best of you. And this kind of coaching initiative is is absolutely essential. And mm-hmm. because sometimes you just need face to face discussions to get just understand a little bit better what you want and who you are and, and w- in which direction you want to go. And I guess that with the current COVID crisis, which has been lasting for the past two years. There are even more questions that we ask ourselves. And, and for young professionals, it must be extremely difficult because many of them have never set foot in the office where they are supposed to be employed in.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's really, it must be really hard to find mm-hmm. your mark in this situation. Find mentors, for instance, and find yes. the right persons to, to turn to if you need uh, some let's say, clarification or if you just need a shoulder to cry on or to complain to Mm -hmm. and uh, really set your own path because we all have uh, a unique story to share and we need some people to just... uh, Highlights where our strengths are when we are not uh, so sure of themselves. So uh, ourselves. So that's that's really amazing that you are planning to set up such an initiative. And would it be uh, for uh, let's say freelancer or any kind of professional?
1: I think I would be looking into you know overall energy and climate professionals. Um, I mean I think uh, especially I'd be keen on supporting more kind of you know like early career female uh energy and climate professionals but i mean i think you touched on many important points i mean i think first of all the issues around community i think for me now you know uh being a freelancer which sometimes can be a bit of a you know like lonely lonely and cold world out there yeah i understand right but i think having been in touch with with many other you know reporters in the same situation or or professionals who are also freelancers and you know like building this sort of mutual support and this community where also you know like really like interesting conversations and you know seeds for potential project ideas etc happen i mean i think that makes all the difference and and then also everything around mentorship really i mean what i've been very lucky is that in you know in the past previous jobs that i've had is that i always had a very close relation with my uh, you know most immediate supervisor and and they would take me under their wing and and really provide me with this this guidance, this mentorship, really, right? So, I think for for me, I've benefited a lot for having this figure, and if I also could be this for someone else, right? Return the favor by by supporting someone else. That be that would yeah, some be something really exciting and something that I would really hope right? that, that at least that I can be that I can be of use for for someone someone's career to ignite.
0: Yeah, and that's so nice that you are. Uh, aiming to have this as a let's say a professional angle because we need people like you also people who can identify with and sometimes coaches can seem a little bit intimidating because they are uh, they may be older or uh, have Mm -hmm. a longer career and maybe as a young professional you don't uh, you don't feel so confident in asking for coaching because you 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 just feel that you are starting so where where can you get your coaching for and uh, i felt that on my side i've been contacted by several students when when i give uh, some classes or courses I, I am often contacted by by some students who just want more specification on this on that and uh, students right now they are kind of also because of the crisis they are disconnected with the professional world because they can't go to the office so it's very uh, and even if they are doing internships that's not the same as it used to be so uh that's that's really important that uh, makes me think as well that last year at the beginning of 2021 i had put this message on linkedin uh, saying uh if you ever want a virtual coffee or a nice discussion just uh get mm-hmm. in touch because i think that we are missing so much these connections hopefully covid is soon behind us but we are still not there Mm-hmm. So I think we just need to to hang on a little bit and just continue to have uh, virtual coffees and uh, a nice discussion. And mm-hmm. I think that somehow uh, initiative like, like yours is so important. Also at different moments of life, when you are starting a, your your career, when you are change, or thinking about changing job, when you are becoming a parent and want to uh, find a better balance between work and family, for instance, or when you're envisaging a uh, shift in what you want to do. So all this applies to the energy sector where things are changing so fast and you require n- and no, yeah, a level of knowledge and understanding that is so specific and particular, it's it's absolutely critical. And what you said about uh, all those Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I started uh, in the energy sector about 12 or 11 or yeah, 13 years ago. And at first, it was really totally male dominated. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see the young women, they were only, uh, they were writing the speeches, but they were not giving the speeches. And, and since Twelve, thirteen years. There has been some some changes, but still, it takes time to fill the gap and make sure that mm-hmm. so there are real you know, balances in the in in this.
1: Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a controversial take on that. I always say that we won't really achieve achieve full equality and and you know have an equal seat at the table until men also start really playing playing their part as an as as an ally. Really, so I mean, for instance. Uh, When we see, again, you know, like all male, all male panels and, or I don't know, like high level political discussions, etc. until men are not willing, you know, to give up their seat on the table and say, no, I'm not going to take part in another all male panel unless there's at least like one female expert there, you know, unless they could take this step and, you know, be, be willing to give up the spotlight so that there's a um, more and more diverse representation. Yeah. Then I don't think that we are that we're going to be able to really change because I mean you know like any time that I call out an all male panel you know I get uh, many you know male colleagues and followers you know liking it and and interacting with it but at the end of the day it's like this is to a large extent this is really in 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 your hands. Yeah. So I mean you know there's only so much that I can do. <laughs> And, and I'm sure not everyone would, would agree with me, but I mean, I think it's time to really diversify our narrative. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's all about diversifying your narrative. And I think that us as uh, white and able women, we also have mm-hmm. to give our seat sometimes to people with the less privileged background. That's also it's part of the game because that's better for everyone because I think it's, it's really sad when we just start repeating ourselves and repeating a certain message in a certain way, whereas there is so much diversity to build on and to listen to. And yeah, that's indeed at the Brussels level, there is such a gap in the representation uh, there mm-hmm. too. So I think that uh, that would really benefit to have people with different backgrounds, uh, with different ethnicities or ability as well. And to just uh, be able to take a step back and realize that we are, we need to go beyond our the traditional peers that we invite.
1: Definitely, I mean, this is going to elevate the policy debates because, at, 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 for the time being, I mean, I think uh, you know we still mostly see and, and witness the same predictable statements. But also, yeah. you know, how important it is to bring uh, climate justice topics into. Yeah. Into the picture, how we can, you know, make uh, urban mobility work for everyone. These are just a couple of topics that come from come from top of my head. But those kind of conversations, I think we're still only having them a little bit like on the on, on the sidelines, so to say. Whereas I think they should be included more and more in the in in the mainstream, right? So um uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, so I get the feeling that the Brussels community we should really, you know, rethink. How uh, do we address these discussions and whether, you know, the typical boring panel debate, opening remarks, repeating the same position paper all over again, is it really the most effective way to, to, to go? Like, are we, you know, especially in these times of Zoom fatigue, can we, can we change a little bit the status quo and how we have our conversations? Yeah, and
0: not having the same usual suspects in the room and uh, saying the same things. I mean, I think that some countries or some places in the world are way more advanced than we are on certain topics. Uh, For instance, if you think about Mexico, the climate justice uh, debate there is really brought by the indigenous communities. And I think that's important to acknowledge that even as... uh, if we want Europe to be uh, like the leader of uh, the green transition, let's call it this way, we don't have the answer for everything, and mm-hmm. we are we are just work in progress as the rest of the world is. And that's also what I found so interesting with the work I'm doing with uh, with Africa at the moment, because I have the impression to to relearn everything and just to. Finally, be able to make a step back and just uh, observe and, and analyze from this. But but it's so important to just get out of your comfort, intellectual comfort zone sometimes to
1: acknowledge that there are different views on the different situation mm-hmm. too. Exactly. Just as easy as to, to listen and to make the effort to stepping away from the, from the usual suspects, uh, bringing new sources, uh, listening and, and reading new authors that do not fit the yeah, pale, male and stale uh, profile right. Yeah, the, the middle class
0: white men, uh, mm-hmm. able-bodied white men. Yeah. So how do you manage to do that within your, uh, to integrate this kind of consideration within your work as a journalist? Because it must be really very, very time consuming to find uh, quotes or, uh, or sources that come from this kind of different backgrounds. So, so how do you keep,
1: you stay on top of the game? That's a great question. And I mean, I think that's an effort that I'm still, you know, like trying to, trying to make, I mean, I'm quite, quite self-critical at times. And I mean, I I know that I can always do better in terms of, you know, like bringing in more diverse voices. I normally, I always try in each one of my articles to include at least one female voice mm-hmm. and more and more, I'm also striving to, uh, you know, uh, get, I don't know, uh, people of color to comment on these aspects, etc. But uh, there are more and more organizations, I think, doing a, a, a brilliant work uh, calling out the, the whiteness of Europe's climate movement, for instance, or, uh, or shedding a light into LGBTQI writers or... With persons with disabilities, et cetera, et cetera. So, I try to keep an eye in, in in these organizations and who is in there, who is sitting at their at their boards, what topics they are they are working on, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, I just you know uh, reach out to them, tell them you know which which topics I'm I'm, I'm working on. How we can we can work together? When can we discuss discuss these matters? If there's I don't know some news to be to be watching out in this in this front. So again, you know, it's it's still it's still a work in progress. But I mean, I think um, there are more and more organizations that are you know bringing this uh, need for diversity to the to the light. I don't know, putting together databases of um, of uh, for instance, the other day I bombed into a database of, of female African experts. Which, I mean, it's great for, you know, I guess once I look into more kind of global global movements, et cetera, and, and perhaps like seeing a little bit this kind of, you know, EU-Africa relations where there's a, there's a lot going on lately. So, yes, I mean, I think it takes a lot of proactive effort, I think. Like, it's not something that, that is going to happen and, and, unless, I think, uh, you make the effort, really, to, to step out of, uh, again, the insider, insider bubble, right? Yeah, yeah. So this podcast was
0: really about getting out of the insider bubble and it's a very nice way to wrap things up. So thank you so much, Anna. I really enjoyed our conversation. So just find Anna, look for her name in uh, di- different publications and I will keep on looking for that because I think you managed to interview some very great people in your written articles. So I will try to invite them also in the podcast and we will, I'm sure we will continue the conversation. And in any case, I wish you the very best on this green light Initiative, I think it's brilliant, uh, yeah. really <laughs> and I'm looking forward to let's say next discussion when you will you will draw some conclusions about uh, this uh, this kind of coaching initiative. And yeah, if you have any questions or anything, just uh, oh, Anna's detail will be uh, in the uh, show notes. So thank you so much, Anna.
1: Thanks a lot, Marine, for having me. It's been great.
0: Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the Just Energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.